Welcome to the Go Hard Chick Podcast, your podcast for all things health and wellness for women. This is your host, Crystal Holmes, and this is episode 66. We are stepping into joy with our guest, Carol Kafresh, and we're going to jump into how we can heal that generational trauma. Go Hard Chicks. Carol Kafresh is a coach and she helps guide women to unpack their unresolved childhood wounds. In this episode, we have a really special and candid conversation about trauma, generational trauma, and how we can begin to heal. Go Hard Chicks, as you know, with this podcast, it is my mission to help women to live happier and fuller lives. And part of that is going to require us to do the work. We got to do the hard work. So I really hope this episode inspires you and encourages you to do the work so you can heal. Now, before we jump into this episode, I must ask, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the Go Hard Chick podcast episodes, please leave a rating and review. You can do this via Apple Podcasts or even Spotify. Now, without further ado, let's welcome to the Go Hard Chick podcast, Go Hard Chick, Carol Kafresh. Welcome to the Go Hard Chick podcast, Carol. I'm so glad you're here today. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. It's warm where I am, but I'm good. Great, great. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing really well. And I'm excited about this topic because I personally have been on a journey to mm-hmm. do the inner work. You know, and I, I was thinking this morning at, at one time during my journey, I thought I was finished because I did the outer work. <laughs> You know, I did the physical stuff. I got, was right. eating good. But I realized at some point that I had a lot of inner work that I needed to do. And mm-hmm. I know I'm not alone. So this is a really important um, topic we're going to jump into today. And so let's jump in. Tell the listeners let's, all about yourself. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm so glad that you said you're not alone. And I think, um, you know, I sent you a message and I said I could have, I, I did this journey and I did my inner work and I'm going to share a little bit about my story and I would have kept quiet. I'd have gone on and gone to the other side and lived in silence and lived quietly and chosen not to embrace my story. But that was not the path and I know my purpose is um, to lift others. I know I was, so I said, I told you, I was created with a lot of joy. I was teached with joy within my cells and I was created to spread joy in the world. And the second thing, I was created to lift others up. And as much as I wanted to keep the story quiet, I knew that in, I started sharing individually and then, you know, why don't you share this? So anyway, let me share a little bit about myself. So I'm Carol. 
My full names are Caro Wanjao, my official government names, but nobody knows me by those names unless you work with me. So I am known as Kafresh, and it's um, a nickname that I have, you know, I've, I've gone by for more than 20 some years. And I was given that name when I was in the throes of trauma, believe it or not, and fresh, you know, because I showed up very fresh, very vibrant. And now I think about it as a spark of joy. It was my way of trying to numb and be quiet. So I was extraordinarily extroverted. I came out as very fresh. And so nobody thought that I had anything going on. So born and raised in Kenya, in Africa, um, until um, I went to law school, uh, my first degree, my bachelor's degree, I went to law school. And then I had read a book and I knew I wanted to go to that school that Barack Obama went to. I read one book and I said, I want to go to his school. And everybody told me, do you know that's a school for very smart people? And I thought, I'm smart. I've got a few C's and D's, but I'm, I'm so smart. So I applied, went to Harvard Law School, um, where I studied international law, human rights, women's rights, gender and development. And again, the thread of working with women has been a reality. But as I was doing all this, then worked on Wall Street practice, worked for the UN, I was chasing, I was chasing something and I didn't know what it was. I thought I could find it in a goal, in a accomplishment, in titles. I was chasing something because deep in my core, I was very hungry. I was hungering for love connection that I did not receive, um, you know, as a child. Um, and I was looking for it on the out external, externally, and I, I couldn't find it. And one day, moved to South Africa many years later, two guns to my head, and it came crashing down. And when I started my journey, when I went to see the therapist, um, the, she, she knew I had been carjacked, and she asked me, tell me what happened. She wanted to hear it in my words. And I told her, Everybody leaves me. Everybody always leaves me. Nobody helps me. So she told me, what did you say? So I said, everybody leaves me. Nobody helped me. Everybody always leaves me. So she realized this was not about the carjacking. It was something else. And we started the journey. And my the struggle um, that I had for a really long time is abandonment. Mine was physical. My mom had to leave to go work, which meant for many of us that, you know, that happened. And I lost that connection. As I've done this work, I've realized many people grew up with mothers and fathers in their homes, and but the mothers were absent. They were emotionally incapable and absent. Um, and so they were emotionally abandoned. And so, you know, I've done my work for many, many years and now I'm a life coach and I'm a breakthrough joy coach, I, you know, teach women and coach women um, to step into joy. But before you can get to the joy and the greatness that you inherited, you've really got to heal this trauma and pain that blocks your view from, you know, from your greatness. And so that's what I do. And I'm really happy, apart from, you know, being an attorney and working with women and children. Wow, Carol, thank you for sharing that. I did not realize that this kind of started with a a crime, a carjacking in which you were a victim. It's amazing how things will happen to us and like bring us back 
right you know to center Just, yeah. yeah it it was i always tell people i tell the women that i coach there is two ways to do this your body can only take so much you can either walk into it willingly or it will, you'll be forced to do it and for me i had stuffed so much that finally when the I, the guns to my head i realized so i i had ptsd full blown ptsd so um, but i had crammed so much in my system that the gun the guns were you know the last thing thankfully and i thank god i was not harmed but my spirit everything came crashing so and then i had to be forced you know to do the work um and as a black woman as you know an african woman and i know a lot of african americans listen to this therapy mental health um interventions coaching it all seems like what's wrong with you and i had tried to go for therapy in in the us and they couldn't quite i i act very adjusted i show up very adjusted and i couldn't quite they couldn't quite understand like you've got a six figure job you're going to work you're not drinking alcohol i was drinking alcohol i was numbing with alcohol and they couldn't quite figure out what i was trying to say and so i've learned that there is a place for therapy there is a place for mental health intervention and there's a place for coaching um you know to get to the other side of what it is that um you're dealing with yeah what you just said is so powerful because how many of us are presenting in that way, you know, yeah. and behind closed doors, you know, for me, I was eating, <laughs> self-medicating with food. And I mean, I was drinking too, probably a little more than I needed to when I was really sick. A glass, yeah, yeah two right, glasses. A bottle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and you show up at work, you're not an alcoholic because alcoholics don't function fully but we i was an i was a functioning alcoholic and then like you because you know my journey with weight i also i then started eating um because this hunger as i've learned it is called a mother hunger most of us have a mother hunger and a father hunger you cannot outrun it you cannot psychologically outmaneuver it by psychological gymnastics you will have to feel it and for women sex eating drinking overworking procrastinating jumping from relation to relationship having very dramatic friendships girlfriends busyness golfing exercise going to the gym two times a day cuz you you have to try and get a handle cuz it's like a monster that desires and needs to be calmed down and internally going internal is very difficult it's challenging and so we do the external and so many women present very functional adjusted people but because there's so much shame to say i'm struggling when we get home we oh there's overmothering overmothering is another one mothering our partners and husbands and making you know be, taking on that job of a full grown adult so when we go home we then start numbing and so the coping and numbing um, mecha me mechanisms now kick in and we are driving the men crazy driving our children crazy drinking ourselves to death overeating and tomorrow morning we wear our makeup we show up at work 
and everybody looks quite well. And there's a question that we all ask each other, how are you? Nobody says, I'm really struggling. We all say, I'm great, I'm fine. And yet so many are struggling, so many are struggling. So these conversations are, there is no shame. Um, you can tell your story, and this is what I have in the work that I do. I tell my story with dignity, knowing about our parents, and we'll talk about that, knowing that our parents gave us only what they could and what they had with the capacity that they had. But a lot of us ha are having to deal with the repercussions of the wounding that we were inflicted on. So the duplicity is something that so many of us need to come to accept that two things can be true. We know our parents tried our very best. They loved us the best way they knew how. They were dealing with their own traumas and their own demons. As a result, we're jacked up in so many ways and we need to take responsibility for the wounds that we now carry. Yeah, and that's in my own personal journey. It was very hard for me to, I think there was a lot of shame um, in my behaviors. And, and at one time I really didn't understand or acknowledge at least the wounds that I had. I was, I don't know if I was in denial, but it, I had romanticized my childhood. And I, I defined, at that time, I defined trauma as something catastrophic. Absolutely. And because in my mind, I hadn't suffered what I defined as catastrophic, a catastrophic event. Yeah. I didn't think I had trauma. But I knew something was wrong and I just kind of lived for many years, like we said, numbing this pain, but I didn't yeah. really understand what I was numbing. Mm -hmm. And then if, if someone had told me then, this is, you need to look at this, something's wrong with you or not wrong with you, but not maybe wrong. look at your childhood, maybe this, right. that, I would yeah. have been very defensive. Mm. Because it's an attack on your parents. Right. That's what we hear, right? Right. Or there's something wrong with me. Right. Right? Yeah. And I think, again, I've told you about this. I, I too grew up thinking trauma is your parent has died, your parent has gone to jail, um, there was a big earthquake, um, there was war. We didn't have war in Kenya. There was war in Rwanda. What trauma they went through. Um, you didn't go to school. You slept hungry multiple times. None of that ever happened to me. So when my mom left to go work, I was adopted into a family. So didn't miss a beat. And well loved. I never went hungry. I went to school. On top of that, I had lots of siblings now. Happy childhood I had. So again, as I've come to realize, the vast majority of women, of us black women, and women in general, and I think the human race, have, I want to meet one human being that has not endured trauma. We have the little traumas, which are very difficult to identify. And then on top of that, put our culture, which is um, very proud culture. And we'll talk about why, because we have been through such horrific historical injustices that owning up to the struggles, 
seems even much harder. We want to show up as strong and getting the things done. Um, so many people have the little traumas, the little, the small T traumas. Um, um, having a parent who was incapable of being emotionally available to you, body shaming, not being affirmed, um, not receiving nurturing. So, and for women, there are three areas and it's nurture, guidance and protection. I do not remember being hugged ever as a child. Physical touch. Do you remember being hugged? No. I mean, yeah. I like I love my mom. I know she loves me, but she wasn't an affectionate um, parent. Yeah. And uh, I, in turn, I'm not, a, I'm not an affectionate person. I'm not. There we go. And I've, I'm starting to break out of that, or I started to break out of that when my daughter was born. Right. You taught, did you, you teach, it's intentional. So, and again, we are living in a culture where we are seeing this happening. Our parents, your mom in America, my parents in Kenya, hugging was not a thing. Nobody ever showed them that children need this. They didn't have books that says children need how many, how many touches or cuddles a day. They understood that loving a child means putting them in great schools giving them shelter, giving them food. And that was wonderful. That's what they did. They didn't realize that this was a need, a human need. So I too really struggled with um, affection and touch. And I've had to train myself to really touch my children um, because that's, I now realize that that's a human need. So nature is one. And there's lots of us who didn't get that. And as a child, as a baby, when you don't get that kind of touch, it makes you very anxious. It, as a child, you say, I'm not wanted, I'm not loved, I'm crying and nobody's hugging me. I mean, we were picked up to be fed and put down. And I will go back to talking about our, our communities before we were all torn apart. So the other one is guidance. And again, coming from the fact that a lot of us were raised by children. A lot of our moms had us when they were very young. Mothers and fathers met. They were actually not mothers and fathers. They were children who met at 18, 19, 20, not grown, and had lots of children. In Kenya, lots of families are four, five, six, seven, eight kids by a 19-year-old. I cannot even for the life of me imagine how a 19-year-old has got all those kids. So guidance, they too didn't receive guidance. They didn't know how to guide us. Um, and then the third is protection. Um, and most of our parents have endured horrific injustices, slavery and colonialism. Um, and that's why they were taught by the oppressor that the way to discipline a child, to teach a child, is by hitting them and by physically hurting them. That's the only way children learn. And for so many of us, we were not protected because this was a modality of instilling learning in us so these are the three things and for so many people now that have coached you know many women it is not the catastrophic incident that lots of people are battling with it's lack of affirmation it's a body shame it's lack of guidance you get your period nobody tells you what the mechanics of your body it is just navigating through life feeling lost feeling so lost 
Um, and so you're growing up and trying to, you're almost grasping for information because you didn't get it in the formative years. And it, it shows up in adulthood and it just blows up. It's for so many of us in adulthood. Um, when we are, when, you know, we are growing up now and we need to find life partners, we're becoming mothers or choosing not to become mothers and careers. And all these voices are telling us how to be, who to be. And deep down, you don't know who you really are because you never ever explored that. Yeah. Yeah. And gosh, you said so much that just uh, looking over my life, it's so resonated with me. Um, I, I was thinking, I remember going to a new school. Mm. I started a new school in the fifth grade. And before that I was at a private, it was a Catholic school. Um, but I started this new school and I'm introduced to sex or I'm told about sex. I wasn't having sex, but I was told, that's where I learned about yes. sex from yes. other kids. And I, I thought up to that point that I believed in the stork concept. Babies came, mm. a bird flew in. I didn't know. So I was flabbergasted. Right. And I remember <laughs> going home and saying to my mom, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't anybody tell me about sex? Like I'm in the fifth grade. I, I don't know if it was appropriate to talk about sex in the fifth grade. I don't know. But I remember saying to her, no one told me. Yes. And she said, well, when you were f five, you watched some PBS. <laughs> I sat you down and, and I was like, what? <laughs> I don't remember five. She, she remembers. So she had educated you. Right. And even just you mentioned starting your period. I don't remember her ever kind of telling me about that. I just kind of learned through people, other friends. Yeah. And, and so I'm, I tried it. I know it wasn't intentional. It's definitely. You're just living life. Mm. And I find myself now that I'm a mom, I have to stop myself and, and think, okay, did I tell her? Yeah. Did I share this? Did I explain this? Does she really get it? Right. Because we're just living. Like you said, we're we're just trying to make sure they're they're in school, they're fed, you know, get to school on time, eat, <laughs> wake up on time. And we forget about the nuances because we're we're just trying to get it get by right right you're right yeah that's you, she remembers i'm so that's so interesting because she remembers at five you watched a pbs show and so according to you sex education tick she ticked it right <laughs> <laughs> sex education for crystal done you know and she got it and i'm sure you must have nodded of course you are perhaps interested in the show and not so we are busy and again remember the time and we'll talk a little bit about the, the era in which our parents grew up if we think we are busy imagine coming just out of they're the descendants of slavery in the u.s in kenya it's a colonialism and it, it wasn't too far back in their memories and, you know, so they are, 
what we need to say is that first of all, we were raised by extremely traumatized people. Their grandparents, their parents who are our grandparents lived through the horrors and they had these children. So definitely traumatized. We were raised by parents who had not resolved their own traumas and they had us. And top of mind for them, I think every day was to make sure we got what they didn't get. Education, food, because hunger was real for them. Hunger was real. And clothes. You know, I remember my, you know, my family, my mom and aunties laughing that they had one dress and that was a dress you wore. And you slept in and they always laugh because they used to wet the bed. And so they used to sleep naked, not even on a bed. It was like, you know, like they have made some makeshift thing so that they don't wet this, the, the, the dress that they have because you can't go to school smelling, smelling of urine. So they, they were coming from a very different time. And this work is seeing multiple realities and multiple truths coexisting. We see their reality. We have a lot of compassion. On the other hand, when a child comes into this world, they expect to be nurtured, guided, and protected. In spite and despite what you're going through, if you do not give that child that, this child will have to deal with this stuff later on in life. And so we are now dealt you know, with this um, role that we are now doing the inner work. And I know for most people, when you say you are traumatized, a lot of women hear, my mother doesn't love me. And I think this is a work of disabusing that myth, saying that you have issue, not issues, I don't like to call them issues. You have unresolved pain, hurt um, from your childhood. You have mother hunger, father hunger that you need to resolve does not mean that your parents did not love you. They loved you to the capacity that they had. They did what they could with what they had. And this work is about seeing that, letting go of the past, as Oprah says, forgiving is letting go that the past could have been any different. Our parents were our parents living in the time. So And so this work is seeing them for what they went through and the time in which they lived and now seeing our own struggles in our own time and doing better because, again, as I coach, we need to step into the legacy. We've inherited so much beauty. Look at us, all colorful. Look at the artwork behind us. We are a people that have inherited a heritage, a, a rich legacy, strength. Um, and if we do not heal the pain and the trauma, it clouds our ability to step into the greatness that we need to pass on because we stand on the shoulders of, you know, strong ancestors and we need to carry on what serves the generations before, you know, that come after us and heal that which we've carried from those who came before us. Yes, yes. Hmm. And you thought of something, I'm going to let you, I'm going to stop, I'm going to shut my mouth because I want you to school us. But a, a big deal I keep thinking about this is, acknowledging that you have work to do. Right. You know, um, I thought about this as we sit here and we speak to each other. There's a campaign, at least in the States, 
where people say things like, oh, she has daddy issues or, you know, he has mommy issues. And it's, it's weaponized. I almost feel like it is. And so when you hear that, when you hear someone accuse women in general, let's say, of having daddy issues, the women become defensive. Mm. It's almost by you saying it in that way, it's weaponized and it's almost like you have a problem. It's something wrong with you. And so we may very well, I may very well have some daddy issues, okay, <laughs> that I need to resolve. But because you have weaponized that phrase, I have now become resistant to acknowledging that that might be a problem and that I might need to do work. Yeah. Pain, hurt, wounds from our childhood, when they are weaponized, they sink and they become shame that we carry. And that's why for so many of us, this is shame. Apart from telling men and women they have daddy and mama issues, let's pile on some religion on top of it. She's your mother. She gave birth to you. She's next to God. Your parents are next to God. How dare you? After everything she, they did for you, how dare you? This is why for so many people, everything sinks to the shame level. And when it is shame, shame festers in the dark. And this work is about saying, show me one person who does not have trauma. I want to meet that one person. I've met women who come to my class and say, I don't know, I have no mother wound. I do not have mother hunger, but I know one plus one in my life is not two. And I want to find out what happened. And they dig back. So being very open, first of all, to seeing every human being on a journey and having, having work to do because our earliest childhood environments have informed everything about us. And con constantly looking back and evaluating where I have come from, the messages that I have received, the narratives and the patterns that I inherited, which become my blueprint, and always investigating why am I like this? What I was very loud, extra, extrovert, extra, because I needed to affirm my presence in the world. I needed to be seen. Because for so long, I had needed to shrink back and be small so that I can be loved. So when I grew older, I, I was over the top extra. Now, seeing that, I know I do not have to be the loudest voice. I'm loud and bubbly by nature, but I don't have to be the loudest voice. Knowing that I'm worthy and enough as I am um, is really important. So I, I hope this allows people to understand and embrace compassion for our parents. One, this is not a conversation about going to confront your parents, but it's also not a conversation of confronting um, those of us who are struggling and are already doing the work and um, understanding that 
those who are already doing the work are many steps ahead because everybody has work to do. There is work to do because that makes us better human beings. So, yeah, I like that, that shame um, gets weaponized. Your pain, your hurt gets weaponized. And when it does that, it sinks to the, to the you know, shame level. But when our experiences as human beings are spoken out in a dignified way in safe spaces, Shame cannot exist. Shame, um, our pain and hurt spoken out, you know, drive away shame because shame only thrives in secrecy. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we, how do we start once we have acknowledged that we got the work to do? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so I think there's two things and, um, would you show that the, the, the chart? Um, I like this chart and, We'll give credit to the, the researcher. It's a chart that um, I have used um, about the intergenerational, transgenerational transmission of trauma. Yeah, so for those who will watch this or see clips of it. So, and this applies, and again, I'm very familiar with um my people, people who look like me, and it's very similar to slavery in Africa is colonialism. But I know that this is the same for Asian women, for, you know, Caucasian women, for Latino women. So I think if we look at this, we can see how um, this applies. So so when we think about slavery, um, colonialism, and um, the factors, the big, those are the big traumas that tore our communities. So when we think about our parents, so oppression, you know, as a nation, you know, the political um, policies, you know, I know in Kenya, a lot of families were sent into concentration camps. It's the same thing as the segregation laws, the Jim Crow laws. Um, so the segregation and denial of rights for so many people. When we distill that at community level, we see the services that are available at community level in those segregated areas, if you're sent to a concentration camp or poor areas, the community is really torn. So enter drugs, enter mental health um, challenges, enter poverty, um, illnesses, um, because you don't have access to great food, so at the community level. But truly where this... Um, where we start interrogating is at the family level. I know it is very similar. I live in South Africa now, um, um, and I see so much similarity having lived in the U.S. and now living in South Africa. Men were taken away from their families into the mining communities. Like men in the U.S. had to go and work, and women were left to fend and care for children. It is calculated to, to strip men from communities and they only returned home once a year. And so this woman is left with all these children to fend um, and take care of. And she's young. And remember, our parents are young. They're not even adults. They're children. So at the family level, the breakdown then begins. So you have children. You have eight children, very meager resources, you need to feed them. There is competition. So one of the things that I see amongst women, which is, again, when we look at the community, our education system reinforced competition. 
So you see, why we say women are each other's worst enemies because we were told there is not enough for everybody. So you've got to fight and claw your way. So this competition, sibling, you know, siblings are fighting for resources and attention from this one woman who too is a child. And so at the family level, you know, at the family level, this, the systematic destruction of the family is what has, you know, is truly very calculated um, when we think about um, colonialism and slavery, um, how, you know, the, the, our, our families were decimated. Um, and then now at the individual level, you know, you see um, issues such as low self-esteem, um, you know, difficulty in parenting because who taught me how to be a parent? Um, there's forced separation from parents. A lot of our parents were taken away, bring in abandonment issues. Um, our identity, um, you know, we are struggling with our identity because our hair was not good enough. Our skin was too black. The suppression of culture, you know, our culture was demonized and we needed to take on the culture of the other. There was a lot of physical and sexual abuse, a lot of violence also in the home because, again, there was a lot of aggression. And when you're dealing with an aggressor, um, that aggression has got to be projected on the family. Um, and so then as individuals, this is where we are. And you can you can stop sharing now. Um, and so when you look at all those issues, um, at alcoholism, as at abuse, domestic violence, you know, a man is torn away from his family. He is humiliated for nine months of the time that he's working, paid almost nothing. He comes home. I mean, Crystal, you have one child, I have two children. Most, most of our parents had multiple children, groups of children. Those kids are so needy. You are a child yourself. You are so frustrated. You know, you're fighting for your life. And any minute, your life could be taken away. Violence, alcoholism. Um, you're not present for your children. With our adult brains, we can see all that. Unfortunately, the template is formed as a child. And the hunger of you as a child lives within you, the adult, until you deal with it. Because as a child, you don't see your father frustrated. You see a father who doesn't love you, who doesn't have time for you, a mother who is always whipping you. Now, as an adult, mentally, you reason. But the child, the child within you still needs a healing. And that's an inner work. It's going internally because that um, dysfunctionality, that confusion within you is actually what manifests in adulthood. And that's a character and that's a personality that we see. The clinginess, I was clingy as hell because I was abandoned and I was to cling onto this men who are not good for me. And so it keeps playing out until you heal yourself and healing, doing the inner work is actually going internally and asking myself, how did I get here? What happened to me or what did not happen that I needed that's playing out in my life as an adult? What happened as a child? Thank you so much for sharing that. And for the listeners that are just listening to the audio edition, we're going to release this video <laughs> on YouTube so you can see what we're sharing because this is important work. But Carol, you said you said a mouthful because here in the States, I almost feel like we're trying to be gaslit 
Um, Because if you say the trauma started like in the slavery days and then there was segregation and like we're still suffering from that, some would say, what do you mean? We can go to the same schools. You can go where you want. You have the same opportunities. Stop blaming slavery. Stop blaming segregation. But it goes, it's more than just the opportunities. It goes to the psychological effect of it all and how it's passed down from generation to generation to generation. So it's important to make that distinction because it also helps us in our own individual healing journeys to understand why my mom may have acted in this way. You know, why did she spank me or as we say, whip me like that? You know, why was my dad an alcoholic? You know, and it's, Unfortunately, it's passed down from this hurt, this trauma is passed down from generation to generation. And if you don't understand the context of where you came from or what, or even as simply, if you don't even go back to slavery, have an understanding. And and I shared with you before, when I understood my mom's journey, then that helped me. Because so many of us are mad at our parents. Yeah, yeah. Right. How could she do that? You you know, she knew we needed to eat and she left us in the house for days without food or whatever it is. And we carry such anger. Yeah, yeah. But when we know their story and the story... Um, when I coach the woman, I say life must be lived forwards. Absolutely. But your life to be lived forwards joyfully, stepping into everything that you have been bequeathed by your ancestors, you must look backwards. And as you say, we are being gaslit for looking backwards. Why can't you move on? Why can you forget it? You know, we are, you, you went to Harvard Law School, but... At Harvard Law School, the entire time I was thinking, do I even deserve to be here? Am I good enough? And working extra hard, you know, the psychological impact. So life must be lived forwards, but must be understood backwards. And when we understand life backwards and we see what our parents were enduring and what they endured and the capacity they had and or didn't have, we're now able to let go. And Part of the inner healing work is to grieve because we are so mad and we need to grieve and let go of the dream because most of us are holding on to a dream mother, a dream father, a dream family that, you know, the Cosby, you, we grew up watching the Cosby show and we all know how that turned out, but we all grew up, you know, watching Perfect Family. The father comes in and says, honey, I'm home. I never saw no honey, I'm home. (laughs) (laughs) So no honey, I'm home is the alcoholic is going to walk in the house and you better scurry. There is no. So again, 
we have a narrative. A lot of us have dream mothers and fathers in our heads and dream perfect families. There is nothing like a perfect family. And of course, we live in the age of social media and hashtag family goals. Family is everything is what we, so we think what I don't have that, but I cannot say anything. So secretly, the shame is eating and gnawing at us and destroying us because we think we are broken. Those hashtag goals that you see, a lot of it is everybody just trying to grasp for this perfection. So when we see that our parents did the very best and there is no perfection and you are able to grieve it, you're able to grieve your childhood, what you wanted to have, what you had, what happened, what didn't happen. You can now walk your journey and release your parents release your parents because for so many of us, we're the little girl still longing for our mom to do these things that we longed for and, and they didn't have. And an apology, a lot of people tell me, if only I get an apology, an apology is just that. It doesn't take away the low self-esteem, the lack of worth. Um, it doesn't take away this hunger that she will not feel that hunger. You have to feed yourself and mother yourself. Um, from the inside and that's why this work is very introspective it's um, almost scary because you need to open up areas that are sacred for a lot of us this is sacred like seeing my my your mom's name so if your mom is Esther your mom has always been mom and this work you know needs demands that you don't see mom as mom you see mom as Esther Esther as a girl with her own dreams and aspirations, with all her pain, with everything that she endured, and Esther had you and what that looks like. Now, in doing this work and acknowledging Esther and what she may have gone through and why that have why that may have contributed to how she treated you right. as a child. That doesn't mean, and I'm asking, that we have to embrace, let's say mm. it was abuse or, or whatever right. it was that Esther right. did. And I think that's a thing people mm. struggle with. Like, they, if they release it in their mind, then that means they're saying that whatever Esther did was okay. No. Acknowledging and seeing what happened, the horror of it, and some women have endured horrors. You were sexually abused. You told your mother she did not defend you. Um, an example, and I hope this does not trigger you, but if it triggers you, you know, you can pause it. Seeing Esther, and when you do the work in seeing Esther, it is likely that Esther was abused. And so she does not know how to defend because nobody defended her. However, looking at it and acknowledging it does not mean that it was right. As children, as babies, we needed protection, guidance, and nurture. We deserved it, but we didn't get it. It does not take away the fact that it was wrong, it was hurtful, and as a result, you're living the consequences of that pain. 
but also seeing Esther as a flawed human being who also is your mother. And Esther is a, is, is a hypothetical name for those of you whose moms are called Esther. You know, it's just hypothetical. Um, does not take, you don't have to endure abuse. So one of the things as immigrant children and perhaps also, you know, as, you know, African Americans, if you're living abroad, away from home, there is an expectation that you're called and you give money, no questions asked, and it doesn't matter how upset you are because she raised you and she gave everything for you. This work allows you to have very firm boundaries. For so many adult children, they cannot say no to their parents because they have no boundaries. They, their boundaries as children were so eroded that they now do not have boundaries with their parents as adults. So this work allows you to have boundaries with your mother, with your father, with your siblings. Remember, if you're dealing with this pain, your siblings are dealing with pain that is almost similar to yours, but very different. All of us have different mothers. At any given time, we may have grown up in the same home. We were eight in our home. We all have eight different mothers, same woman, but eight mothers. So allows us to be able to have boundaries and to realize that you're a full individual with your own needs and wants and you're worthy as you are without sending money when you don't have to, without complying to stuff and agreeing to stuff that makes you feel bad, without going to family gatherings where you are torn down because you decided not to have children or to get married. And that's the only topic that they feel that they need to discuss. You are free to choose to not be at such gatherings and to not take such conversations directed at you. So this work allows you to really become a sovereign human being and not one that is an attachment and an extension of your parents. For so many of us, we were extensions of our parents. And that's why everything we did reflected back on our parents. You did well, the pride and joy. You were not so good. Oh my God, what a shame to your family. You're a sovereign being. And this work allows you to really step into your sovereignty and realize that you're a full um, sovereign being and you can make choices and know if you're a Christian, no, you will not go to hell. No, God will not smite you. And it is okay to say no respectfully, but you can say no and have those very strong boundaries. Yeah. 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 Does that, does that, does that answer? Yeah. So because it is a, um, Almost that we can't say no to our parents. You cannot stand your ground because, again, after everything they did to you, and so for so many people, the abuse just never stops. And you live in resentment. And then you have a family of your own, and the mother is controlling how you run your family affairs. There is so much resentment. You, you don't need to do that, and this work allows you to step out of yourself as a child and become an adult, but to be able to be an adult who is on a journey of healing and there's no ever healing and done, you need to stop seeing yourself as an extension of your parents um, and as a sovereign individual. Yeah. Yes. And, and you mentioned doing this work. I mean, when you have your own family, like now I'm a parent, I, I realize 
this is so important. I have to try. I mean, I know I've traumatized my daughter, (laughs) but I got to do the work. I got to try to break these chains. That's right. We've got to repair. So again, you and I know our children, we're doing the work. They may very, I think if you are being raised by a human being, you are being raised by a human being with all their lived experiences, traumas and all. Before we did this work, we did some, you know, there's some things I look at that I did to friends and boyfriends and I did to myself and I'm horrified. It doesn't absolve us. We're not perfect. However, we are conscious. We are aware, again, not just living life and getting caught in the doing. And one, I like the analogy of repair. And this work is truly repairing what happened, the injuries that happened. And I like um, Gabor Mate's um, definition about a wound. A wound is not... A state, you're not broken because so many people think they are broken and they can never be fixed. What we endured were wounds, childhood wounds, whether it's abandonment, whether it's um, shame, whatever it is, a wound can be healed. And I love that analogy because there is so much hope. And the reason we still carry the wounds from 30, 40, 50 years ago is because nobody repaired. So a great example I'm come, I come from work, I'm very tired, had a mad day at work, I'm, I'm snapping, and I snap at my child, and my child starts crying. Now that I'm quite aware of myself, once I calm myself down, I'm able to go back to my son or my daughter and say, I'm really sorry. I really had a horrible day, and I took it out on you. You do not deserve what I did. And I'm really sorry. I, you do not need to get shouted at. You do not need to get yelled at. I'm really sorry that I yelled at you. What happens in that instance is repair. Because for so many people, for instance, I know people who grew up with alcoholic fathers. You develop anxiety at around the time your father came home. I know a lot of friends, their fathers would come home at 2 a.m. And when they come to my class, one of the things they really battle with is insomnia because their bodies from five years old are wired to wake up at, at 2 a.m. because they're worried their mother may be killed, their, their siblings may be killed, and so your system is alert as a child. Nobody ever repaired that. So this system knows to stay alert at 2 o'clock. So... Again, for this child, when somebody snaps at them, because I've repaired that, they don't say, I'm bad. And I, and this is how adults speak to children. I have repaired that and said, I'm sorry, you don't deserve, you know, to be spoken to like that. Because a lot of us, so father comes in from work, father shouts, father hits children, Child, a child, a ch- children are narcissistic. Children think just about themselves. A child is trying to make sense of their world without words. Child says, I was loud. I was bitten. I was whooped. So I'm now going to be silent. And so that's how I keep peace. 
And so many starts retreating to the back. So when my father comes, I'm just going to be silent so that I'm not seen, so that I don't do anything because I want my dad to love me. So it's a repair work. So we are definitely going to wound um, our children. Um, they're going to have a different set of issues because they are growing up in a crazier time than we ever did. But I do hope that they feel seen, that they feel heard, and they know that they're worthy of belonging and taking up space in this big, wide, complicated, amazing world that they matter just as they are. They don't need to change. And 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 that's a work. It's a repair. Nobody ever repaired. And so why we have so much pain is because we have wounds piled on top of each other, 20 worth, and then you went to school and the teachers were children. The teachers were equally traumatized like our parents. They were hating us. The education system was designed by, you know, an oppressive system. Um, so, and it, and on and on it goes. And then you have a boyfriend. Um, you choose a man who reminds you of your father because that's what your system knows. And the boyfriend wounds you again. So it goes and goes and goes. So, but if you know that you belong and you're worthy enough, I think that's a great starting point as you deal with every other issues. You know in of yourself that you're whole and you don't need to do anything to be more deserving of love, belonging, you know, and taking up space. Oh, Carol, this is so good. <laughs> I I really hope that people hear this and it yeah. helps them to to start doing that work and the importance of coaches like you or therapists or, or both. both. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, there's no shame in doing the Isn't, work. There is no shame. And I think in, in you don't need to do the work out in the, in the open to say, I'm healing on faith. You don't have to go on Facebook live or Instagram live. There are many safe spaces where you find like minds and people who are just like you. And I know a lot of women now are really doing the work. My hope and my prayer is that our men who carry the opposite of be strong, be tough, don't cry. And on top of that, you're the provider and the protector and the warrior. And you may be gunned down at any time. I, I really pray that men are doing this work and finding safe circles of brotherhood, like women are finding safe spaces of sisterhood. Because when you realize that it's almost as if you were raised by the same mother and father, it doesn't matter what country they're from. When women speak in my class, they are so flabbergasted because it's almost as if everybody is speaking about the other's home. And what that does immediately, it normalizes it. Everybody who's been feeling as if they are broken, you realize I am so normal. And so I, I really hope that, you know, our men are, because their load is even much more. Um, at least we were allowed to cry a little bit. Um, or And then we were told, you know, don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about. And we were whooped again. But our men carry even a bigger load of um, showing up really strong 
and not being in touch with their emotions and 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 and, and this hurts and it it has to come out this pain if you do not heal it it must exit it must exit in disease in aggression it, it has to exit out of you because you cannot keep carrying it. it it will exit and it exits in a very destructive manner yeah yes yeah. yes and, and just for me, I just thought of something personally mm. in doing this work. It has helped me to give others grace. You know, when, when I've been <laughs> mistreated or someone said something yeah. to me, I, I stop and I think, okay, maybe they experienced something in their childhood and I triggered right. that, right. you know, um, and I, I give the person grace. But you don't allow it. You you are able to pick your truth. No. A giving grace is not the same as taking the abuse. Right. Right. But it's it's allowed me to understand. Right. Yeah. You know, um, and I'm not in any way saying take abuse. But before, I would make it all about me. Why are they doing this to me? Right. And now I pause and try to understand. Um and give them some level of grace. And not get pulled into their madness. Because if you're not aware and you've not done the work, you just get sucked in. And, you know, before you, you, you're not sure who's who anymore. But, you know, I'm really sorry that you see things that way. And, but, you know, I will not take, you know, I will not take you speaking to me like this. Um, this is unacceptable and I will not have it. And you're able to take a stand very respectfully. And actually what is so, when you do the work and when you're doing this work and you're very aware, it actually catches the other people off guard because they come at you with anger because they've got all this reason. And they find you, you know, quite, because you're, I tell people, if once you master self-regulation, and I'm still trying to master it. Some days I watch my body leave me and I'm over there and I'm like, who that? How did I get, how did I get over there? You know, some days, you know, I can blame Satan. I'm like, oh, let's blame Satan for today. But when I'm so self-regulated and you come at me with, you know, with an agenda and I'm quite collected and I'll say, I hear you, you know, that's your viewpoint. I've got a different viewpoint. We shall not debate it today, but, you know, I just will not take that kind um, of talk. You know, you will. I will not allow you to speak to me like that. It's, you know, they're like, whoa, she will not get into the ring with me. Um, I, I don't have energy to expend that way. But yet there are days, and it's truly like the people who are closest to you that will do that. I watch my, you know, it's like an outer body experience. And I'm like, who, who is that over there? You know, you know, going back into my own self. And again, it also allows us to give grace to ourselves because I will find myself getting right back into my triggered girl. And I'm like, okay, you know, we need to sit down and I can now ask for time out. I ask my children, please give me a few minutes to calm down and they know, you know, I just, please do not follow me to the bathroom. I just need five minutes by myself. I need to take a shower or I need to sit on the toilet by myself. And I now know how to regulate myself because I can feel when I am getting riled up. And, you know, people say children are always triggering me. Children don't, are not interested in triggering you. Children trigger the inner child within you. And, you know, then it is two children in a tantrum together. So 
I now know how to ask for time out and time to regulate and breathe. And when you learn these tools that your breath is such a magical tool, you, it can just um, be a tool to center you and back to, you know, back to be able to think rationally. So, yeah. Oh, this is good. <laughs> Carol, I, I love gotta, it. But I... We've got to wrap up. <laughs> And power yeah, has I got to respect your time. But I need you to come back. We need to come. We, <laughs> I can come back. I can come back. Because there's so much, there's so much to talk about with this. Yeah. But like I said, I got to respect your time. So this was good. Right. Now tell the listeners, how can they find out more about you? Um, if they're interested in your coaching, how can they find out more about you? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And I'm happy to come back and we can ask the listeners what topics they'd like us to cover. So you, I'm sure you will link my name. So on Facebook, I go by Carol Fresh, as well as um, on Instagram, Carol with an E, Cajol is supposed to be the French, um, Carol Cafresh. Um, and, you know, we can have a, a call. So again, I do not take new clients um, without having a call to align on objectives. Because I do know coaching is not for everybody. Coaching coaching may be needed together with something else. And because I've been on a journey where I've done intense therapy, I'm recovering from PTSD. Um, at some point I had to take, you know, sleeping pills. I know that some people need a combination of a few things. So I do a discovery call and um and and then you can join the coaching so i've got a coaching class that's starting on saturday it's almost filled up you know so that one is almost done but yes i'm you know i'm enrolling consistently and continually and so if you're interested um um reach out to me one secondly on my page i share a lot of resources and i do hope that if you go to the page you see yourself and you see your story i realize my story is not so different from the girl in Alabama or the girl in Jamaica or the girl in India is very similar. And I do hope you feel seen and um, you feel um, validated in this world of social media and filters where everything is cropped to an inch of its life. You don't know what's real and what's not. So I really try to show up very real and share real issues as I'm learning. You know, I get coached all the time because I want to show up as an excellent coach. And as I learn, I share, you know, but then I have the intensive um, three months classes. But, you know, I want to launch another. I had a mini course that ended, which was good. I'll launch another mini class um, in March. Um, so that will be something that will be coming up. But again, I'm happy to make new friends. And so, um, yeah, but I'll definitely be back. We can find something else to talk about, you know, like the work life, motherhood, um, you know, love, um, all these things and how our childhood experiences shaped it. Yes. And, and just, just so the listeners know, you can coach anyone from anywhere. Oh, yes. Yes. It's like this. It's virtual and you can be in your, wherever you are. And we agree on time zones. Um, yes, you can be anywhere. You do not have to be where I am. So it's virtual and I love it. This is a beauty of the world we're living in because technology ensures that there is access. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Carol. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I'm, you know, I'm so glad that our paths crossed and we are doing this work in different ways. And I do believe that we do need them. And um, 
when we speak, when we show up and we speak with dignity and we speak up about what is unspoken, it gives others permission um, to speak up and it gives others permission to shine, you know, to shine their light. So I'm really grateful to have been here. Well, there you have it, Go Hard Chicks. Another great episode, this time with Carol Kafresh. Go Hard Chicks, we as a people, we as people of color come from such rich backgrounds. Our history and our experiences are just the most beautiful thing. But we also come from a lot of pain, a lot of trauma. And it's important that we understand and acknowledge how that generational trauma has affected us even today. It's important that we have that understanding so that we can heal. I hope this episode inspired you to do the work and to heal. Thank you for listening, Go Hard Chicks. Take care. <laughs>